Inside Westminster, Chapter 258, Money Whore. Angelica and Geoffrey Swinton Eagle had long since, long since given up trying to impress their neighbours in Garland Crescent with smug, off-the-cuff reminders that they were now closely connected to near royalty. Off to check us again? Yes, another swurry in Downing Street. Yikes, better strike that one off the list of brags. Tara, their eldest daughter, unmarried and soon, they feared, unmarriable had said sarcastically to them as they hastily packed up their car to disappear on an extended and much-needed holiday as far away as possible from the tumultuous whirl of their youngest daughter's married life. Tara had come to the family home to catsit and was very happy to do so as her life in London had become both tedious and stressful in equal measure. How could that have happened, she pondered, my life becoming the height of boring and that brat Mandy's spinning off into orbit. She laughed, wondering how on earth her silly sport sister had managed to A, nab that fat knacker Ptolemy Trudge Jones, B, managed to keep him and have two sprogs with him, and C, managed to mess everything up so completely that she now had become the laughing stock of the set she'd spent her whole life conniving to be accepted by. Tara's home was a tiny flat in not-so-salubrious Pimlico. Oh, and it was damp too, and had cladding issues, so she couldn't sleep at night for fear of being burned alive. There were mice too. Oh, were they rats? The size of cats, no doubt, and just my luck, she thought. She had conveniently forgotten that her dear, much-put-upon father had coughed up the enormous deposit, allowing her to saddle herself with the most ginormous monthly mortgage repayments. She wished more than anything that she'd been born at a time when a pretty girl could just flutter her eyelashes and nab a man, like her silly mother had done. Mumsy had never had to work and had spent her life at home, not even troubled too much by her daughters, as they'd been shoved off to boarding school. That had become an extremely sore point and one which the two daughters never let their parents forget. Why couldn't you be bothered to bring us up? would be thrown at the sorry parents whenever a row was brewing, followed quickly by, How did you fill your day, Mumsy? And never mind that it had cost a pretty penny. No, there was no such thing as pity when it came to the Swinton Eagle pair of brats. They took no hostages, including their own parents, and went after every luxury and every penny they could. Boarding school was the very stick the parents had innocently given their, them with which they could be beaten, and boy, did the girls do that. Mandy, the child horror and terror of fellow pupils and the weaker teachers alike, seemed to have mellowed, according to Angelica, though dear Pater had had his doubts. And crikey, hadn't he been proved right. Had Mandy really managed to take everyone for a ride? Had she really been using taxes right, left and centre, billing them to CCHQ, using the names of underlings to mask the charade? Had she really thought she could take on the, that formidable man, Benedict Morgan, most senior and closest of all advisers to Potty? Had she forced Potty to employ her circle of sycophants, getting loyal and trusted long-serving employees the sack en route? And had she actually been meddling in government policy? Their daughter, now their infamous daughter, and the talk of the land, let alone Garland Crescent, Soon this book, 
First Lady, the inner court of Mandy and Potty, would be published and be piled high on tables in bookshops, tempting every single person in this great nation to delve into their darling's life, and everyone would know each sordid detail about her, their once upon a time sweet cherubic darling. What had happened? How had it come to this? The Swinton Eagles had asked themselves and each other endlessly, and with no real answers apart from their own personal regrets. Too much spoiling, not enough discipline, too many excuses, no accountability. The list went on and on, giving them both the most enormous headache and now, worst of all, notoriety and shame. And from the rubble of their dissected lives, they too seemed to be condemned to bitter infamy. No longer could they swan around the golf club, expecting fellow members to acknowledge their elevated position. Geoffrey had been made club captain for a second year on the trot, against all the clubhouse rules, and Angelica had been handed the Lady with the Most Charm award. That hadn't gone down well with any of the other female members, as the honour had been created especially to ingratiate the club chairman, a staunch conservative, with the Swinton Eagles. Let them all think what they want, Angelica had kept on saying, in those early, heady days of their daughter's elevation to Prime Minister's consort, then wife. Old Tony can try as much as he likes to gain access to Potty. I'll accept every smidgen of flattery just to get back at those rotten old crows, Maeve and Romaine. I mean, remember how beastly they were to me when we first joined? She'd added. Now there was a different tune, with Tony, Maeve and Romaine snootily asking after... Our dear Mandy. The cheek of it, said Angelica, without the slightest trace of irony, let alone self-awareness in her voice. Geoffrey just kept his counsel, silently witnessing their own comeuppance. The royals had been on what their lately departed scion, Prince Frederick, used to call a war footing for as long as their collective memories could stretch. It had been one calamity after another, all self-inflicted as ever, with overindulged folks living in the goldfish bowl of public life. Prince Rupert's sudden departure from the shores of this great nation, that interview, and now an imminent tell-all memoir, ghost-written of course, had hurt, but it had been the Prince Marcus debacle which had really rocked the royal yacht, still crescendoing upwards with the threat of an impending and very public trial with God knows what coming out. The prince's penchant for teddies, clad in naval uniform, had caused the nation to gasp. His foul temper, if said toys weren't cleaned, preened and put back in exactly the right positions, a laminated photo of the fifty, yes, fifty, on hand for the sorry maid who was on teddy duty. One such minion had testified as to the constant potential for a princely nuclear explosion of rage, during which the sorry maid had often been reduced to tears. This sort of scene, continuing even in our enlightened age of HR and being kind in the workplace. Etiquette in the workplace had clearly never been part of Marcus's training, nor how to behave like a decent human being. Still, he too was getting his comeuppance, much to the glee of every single media outlet who were rubbing their hands at the thought of the endless, salacious column inches they could grab at the royal person's expense. 
and then, out of the blue, came the announcement that an out-of-court settlement had been reached for an undisclosed, undisclosed sum. Vast, one assumed. To be paid by whom, exactly? Not to let the man off the hook, the journalists and investigators went on the warpath to try and be the first to reveal the source of this ginormous sum. Mummy, of course, had been the f their first supposition. But hang on! Not enough words slash money had been made from that story, so on and on it went, with article after article surmising who would be coughing up and choking in the process, no doubt. And our sorry prince, ex-duke of somewhere or other, ex-honorary colonel of something or other, ex-ex, and now soon to be exiled somewhere or other, though definitely remote. Who knows? And quite frankly, who cares? Well, the tabloids, for a start, as this story, the total destruction of a human being, still had legs, and the boy, and boy, the post, for one, was going to run with them. We'll be following him to the ends of the earth, Dunk had said to his beloved Bobby, late the evening of the announcement of the settlement. You mean he can't ever buy his way out of this? Bobby had asked innocently. That's not the way these things work, Dunk replied. He's just a means to an end, and that ends money. Bobby, for one, had long since realised that being in the public eye had very few advantages and many, many drawbacks. Dunk's phone rang. Sorry, Bobby, got to take this. And Dunk disappeared into their bedroom. You sure? Bobby had heard, followed by, it's in tomorrow. Querying about the importance of this, his beloved's next scoop, Bobby had asked about the conversation. Only her madge has... Covid, and there's another palace furore over cash for access, only this time the heir to the throne is in real shit. Oh dear, was all Bobby could muster, as he hated more than anything for the royals, his favourite people, except for Marcus and Rupert, to be in trouble. And all they'd had, collectively and individually, for as long as he could remember, was trouble with a capital T. Let's hope Prince Edmund's so-called indispensable valet keeps his trap shut, Dunk had said. What, Matthew Finch? Bobby had queried. Yes, Dunk confirmed, only he's been writing emails and texts using we rather than I, so let's hope the court of public opinion is going to believe he intended to be posh and we didn't mean him and the prince. Well, he could say he was only using the royal we, as in we are not amused, or like Mrs T with, we have become a grandmother. They both laughed, though Bobby's mood had slumped with worry that his dear queen might be suffering having caught the dreaded sea. <laughs>